Okay, let me build up to this, but I'm going to get to a truth that I would plead for you to believe and to replace the false belief that you do have. So every time we all in doubt, everyone in doubt, all of us have been to the temple. Okay, I am a pattern hunter and I look for patterns. How does Heavenly Father emphasize? Are all scriptures of equal worth? No. How does Heavenly Father emphasize which scriptures are of most worth? Repetition. Patterns reveal what's important to God. And I love, I'm a pattern hunter. I search for patterns. And when I find a pattern, I say, okay, what's the doctrine he's trying to teach? So question number one, we go to the temple. We are endowed in the temple to make five covenants. He could just simply say, all right, everyone stand up. Let's make five covenants. We're done. He presents those covenants with a story backdrop. Have you ever paused and said, why? Why is he telling this story over and over and over again? Every time you go to the temple, he starts with a story that you've heard a thousand times. Do you hear him? Do you hear him shaking his hand saying, are you paying attention? This is really important to Heavenly Father. Why do we hear the story of the creation so often? Can you name anything else that's that repeated in the scriptures? Besides the Savior's life where we get four accounts. Can you name any story that's that repeated in the scriptures? Where do we find the creation? Genesis. Moses, Abraham, certainly hinted at throughout the Book of Mormon, right? And every single time you go to the temple, it's creation, 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 creation. Why? Have you ever paused to ask yourself, why does he tell the story of the creation so often? Well, I did. I asked myself a thousand times, why so much emphasis on the story of the creation? So let me ask it this way. Well, Joseph Smith said it. One thing I learned from Joseph Smith is he said, I have a key that helps me unlock the scriptures. I ask myself, what was the question that brought forth the teaching? So what's the question for which the creation is the answer? What's the question that brought about the story of the creation? What's the question? Where did we come from? Okay, so that's a good one. Where did we come from? Not the question. I know Moses asked. Uh, blah, 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 blah. You've got the answer there. Okay. Hold on. Let everyone stew for a second because you know where we're going. Yeah. I love it. What do some people think the story of the creation is the answer to? So I'm going to say one legitimate question is where? It's the where question. But we're going to see in Moses that that is not the question. But what does the world think the creation is answering? Yeah. Not the question. Moses didn't say, how did you create the earth? And oh, let me tell you, day one, day two, day three, day four. Nope. What's the question? Why is the question? 
the question for which the creation is the answer is the question why. Let's read it. Moses chapter 1, verse 30. So Moses is seeing the cosmos. He's seeing worlds without number. He's seeing what scientists have not been allowed to see, and that is planets with other Heavenly Father's children on it. More than Moses could count. In fact, he said, if there were a million earths, it wouldn't even be the beginning. We are not alone in this universe. Heavenly Father's children are all over the universe. And Moses is seeing all these different worlds. And the question he asks is, Adam, will you read it? Verse 30. That's the question for which the answer is the creation. Now, how many of you have found the answer to that question in the story of the creation? It wasn't until it wasn't until I saw the question that I began to say, okay, what's the answer to the question? Why did you make man? Why did you make this earth? Why is there sun, moon, and stars? Why are there plants and animals? And all of a sudden, a light went on for which I teach this class. So let me see if I can help that light go on if you haven't seen it yet. Why? Did he create Sorry, the earth? Say that again? So let's go to, let's do Moses. Oh my goodness, Siri. Let's go to Moses chapter two. We're going to do this in Moses' account. So after chapter one, why did you do this? Answer is the creative periods. So let's go through one at a time. Day one. Okay, day one. He says light and darkness. Now that's not photon light. That's not sun, moon, and stars light. That doesn't come till day four. This light is life light. Jesus is actually, you know, we should read this. Sorry. Let's read it. We should start here. Doctrine and Covenants section 88. We need to make this connection first. So let's jump to the Doctrine and Covenants section 88. Starting in verse 6, Jesus ascended up on high and descended below all, in that he might be in and through all things the light of truth. Jesus is the light of truth, which truth shineth and is in all of these things. Verse 7, the sun. Verse 8, the moon. Verse 9, the stars. Verse 10, the earth. Verse 11, you. Now let's go to verse 13. The light which is in all things giveth life. So what happened on day one? This earth came to life. He brought life to this planet. God brought life to a planet. It was simply material. And now it's a living entity. This earth is alive. She speaks. I can quote her many times. And this is when she came to life. Now, in assessing that, in talking about that, back to Moses, what word does the Father use to assess his work 
After bringing the planet to life, this planet is now alive. And in verse 8, what word does he use? What grade does he give him? I'd say he gives it good. It's good. Do you see something is disconnecting here? Jesus brought a planet to life and his father said, Good job. To whom would you say good? Now, if you spent, if I were your professor and you wrote a 30-page research paper and I wrote good on it, what would you think? Uh-uh, I'm not happy about that. I worked way too hard to get good, right? Good is what kind of grade? Passing. Passing. It's a C. So Jesus creates life and the assessment is... It's good. Now, the father is clearly not giving him a low grade. He's not saying that the earth is only a sea. What is he saying by the word good? Okay, check the box. Now move on. This is not the purpose of creation. This is simply a step. You want to know why I created the earth? Well, this was step one. Do you see what the word good is doing? In other words, the father was saying, okay, that'll do. Now get to the good stuff, right? That'll do. Okay, so day two. So day one was verses two through five. Day two is verses seven through 10. Now, in order for there to be Life on this earth, we've got to separate land and water. We've got to get that water cycle going. We need rain. We need all the things. We need to be able to plant. So first we separate land and sea, water and land. So this is land, water. Do you see where he's going? Now I have an earth. I need earth. I need dirt. I need water and I need dirt. Do you see where he's going? He's simply checking boxes. And after Jesus separated the land and the water on the second day, what was the father's assessment? Good. Good. In other words, check. Next. Can you sense the end, the, what the father's really saying here? Okay, next. This isn't the goal. That is coming. All right, day three. Now, why would we have dirt and water? Again, if he's answering this question, I think we get a very, very different answer. But he's simply trying to set the stage saying, check one is I've got dirt and here comes the rain. Now, what does he do on day three? What's the whole purpose of the dirt and the earth? 11 through 12, 13, he plants. Do you see why he's planting? He has a purpose. He's clearly building something. And it's not wheat and barley and fruit. But now he gets plants. Now that we have water and soil, we need plants. And what's his assessment of day three? It's good. Next, right? Check. 
move on. He says it's good. Now, if we're really going to do this right, we put it in orbit so that we have seasons. We need fall and spring and summer. We need a planting season and a harvesting season. We need to put the earth in orbit. So he says, look, let's do sun, moon, stars, orbit, spin the earth, all of that. I know he emphasizes on, he, he's emphasizing sun, moon, and stars, but I'm going to look back at here, right? I think our tendency is to look up, oh, sun, moon, and stars. I think we need to do this. Oh, we need seasons. We need planting and harvest. Do you see what he's doing? Do you see what he's building? But that's not the goal, is it? And as soon as he does all the, I, I don't know why I stopped coloring the numbers, but at the end of the fourth day, what was his assessment? Check. Check the box and move on. Now we have plant, now I have food. I have an earth with food, but it's not ready yet. So day five, what's missing? What's the missing element here? I love that. We need them. They are part of our mortal existence. So he says, let's fill it full of animals. Animals as companions, animals as awe-inspiring, animals as a food source, animals as clothing, animals as laborer. You got it. Now. I'm getting to what I really want to do, but he fills the earth with animals. And what's his assessment this whole time of the first, the fourth day, fifth day? It's good. Check. Day five. Now, this is where I love that some truths come in the temple, some truths come in the scriptures, and we have to put them together. So allow me to rely on those who've been to the temple. After day five, there's a major shift. Day five, Jesus was sent to create. On day six, tell me what happens. The Father says, we will go down. Now, I don't doubt that we refers to the Father is going to jo join Jesus. We will now go down. Mm, I buy that. But in my soul, I think when he said we, he was saying, she and I will now go down. We will go down. Now that you've made the earth ready, we will go down. Notice that when you go to the temple. It is not you now go down, it's we will go down. And what did they do? Verse 27. I, God, created man in mine own image. In the image of mine only begotten, created I him, male and female. How could Eve have been created in the image of God unless what? 
there was a female there in whose image Eve was created. Elohim is plural. It is a plural form. It means they. And so God created, they created Adam and Eve. Now that's part one. And then said, notice he hasn't assessed his work yet, right? If the goal were just to stop at 27, he would have said, hey, let's assess it now. But I find it fascinating that verse 28 comes before his assessment. So verse 28 says, what? Okay, so tell me what day six brought. I think sometimes we see it narrowly and we see Adam and Eve. But the fact that he didn't assess it at this point and assessed it after that would say, what was day six? What was created on day six? A family. The family, our family. Family. And now, do you see the assessment? Do you see where we're going? All of a sudden, everything changes. He's been, okay, that's good. That's good. That's good. And now all of a sudden, you can hear the Father say what? Now it's very good. What is this answering? What is the question all of this is answering? Why did you make the earth? Answer the question. Why did he make an earth? Family. The creation of family is very good. Now, I don't mean this to come across harsh in any way. Please let the Spirit soften this. Going to school, getting an education, what word would he use? Good. Good. Check. But that's not your destination. Having a career, occupation, making some money, what would he say? Good. Good. Needful. All of this was needful. But that's not your destination, right? If we want to go where God dwells, we have to share his priorities. And what is God's highest priority? His ability to make worlds and grow food? What is his highest priority? Family. Now, can you think of a superlative? Can you think of a word greater than, so we're going to put very good here. Can you think of a word that he uses that you would say would be above very good? Name a word he uses frequently that you would list as higher than good, very good. Excellent. Okay, he doesn't use excellent. You don't find God using the word excellent very often, but there is a word he uses repeatedly. Section 4, 
Section 10, section 12, section 14, even greater than great. What does he tie with the word great? Behold, a great and marvelous work is about to come forth. So if creating a family, in his words, is very good, what then is marvelous? What would he consider marvelous? What was the marvelous thing that was about to come forth? Turn to section 2, Doctrine and Covenants section 2, which is the very first section of the Doctrine and Covenants. Section 1 was actually placed first, but was given 66th or 67th. It was given a year and a half after the church was organized as the preface. Notice in section 1 verse 5, this is my preface. We placed it there on his request. So the first section of the Doctrine and Covenants is section 2. Let's read it. Who wants to read section two? First section of the Doctrine and Covenants says, who wants to read? Behold, I will reveal unto you the priesthood by the hand of Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he shall plant in the hearts of the children the promises made to the fathers, and the hearts of the children shall turn to their fathers. Okay, what's he referring to? What's he referring to? Elijah, turning of hearts. Tell me what he's referring to. Sealing keys. keys. I'm going to send you the sealing keys. What did he say in the very first section of the Doctrine and Covenants? To a 17-year-old boy, I'm going to send you Elijah. I'm going to send you the sealing keys. Now, last verse. If I don't, then keep going. If it were not so, the whole earth would be utterly wasted at his coming. If we don't have the keys of Elijah, then this whole earth was what? A waste. So why did God make an earth? To create and then seal eternal families. To create and then seal eternal families. Now, if making the family was very good, what is he hinting at that is marvelous? Now, let me, let me be clear. You can obtain a kingdom of glory all by yourself. You do not need any human being to obtain a kingdom of glory, even the celestial. You can go to the celestial kingdom without being married. But if you desire exaltation, that requires what? A family. So the difference between salvation and exaltation is salvation's an individual affair, you and Jesus. Exaltation is a family affair. Now, I know marriages and families get screwed up on here, and I don't, I don't want to suggest that if you have a screwed up family, you can't go to the celestial kingdom and be exalted. But let's be clear, between today and that day, what must you have intact, even if it's not the one you have today,
but what must you have intact in order to become exalted? A family, a marriage, a companionship. So may I, here's the truth. What is the most important thing to God? Now I could fill this board with things that are important to him. Temple, missions, scripture, Jesus. Jesus, atonement. But all of those things have what purpose in mind? Bring his family home. That's it. And if we don't seal families, then all of those things, perhaps even the atonement itself was what? A waste. Have I convinced you? Let me throw just one more scripture in. Kind of a hidden one. Section 49 was given to correct the shakers. Remember, Laman Copley was a shaker, and Jesus said, go fix some of their beliefs. And so he sent Laman Copley in with a list of correct doctrines that he needed to correct. Now, the shakers did not believe in marriage, which is why there's no more shakers around. That's a great way to end whatever system you hold on to. Just don't believe in marriage, and then the shakers are gone. I do not believe there's a shaker on earth because they don't espouse marriage. They don't believe in marriage. And so Jesus went in and said, look, I need you to correct this doctrine. So verse 15, verily I say unto you that whosoever forbiddeth to marry is not ordained of God. For marriage is ordained of God. Therefore it is lawful that he should have one wife and they twain shall be one flesh. Now read the rest of verse 16. And all this, that the earth might answer the end of its creation. What is the end of this earth's creation? Family. Why go to school? To create an eternal family. Why go on a mission? Why be endowed in the temple? Why have faith and repent? Why make covenants? The why for everything we do in the church is now what? Based on what God's priorities are, the why is what? Eternal family. It is to, to create an eternal family. Any family and an eternal family, right? Now, have I convinced you? You want more? Can I pull out more? Let me pull out more. Ready? I got my guns ready. Let me pull out more. Turn with me to section 13 of the Doctrine and Covenants to the restoration of the Aaronic priesthood. Something very odd was said when John the Baptist restored the Aaronic priesthood. First, he laid his hands on Joseph and said, Upon you, my fellow servants, I confer the priesthood of Aaron, which holds the keys. And then he talked about the keys of the priesthood. And then he says, And this priesthood shall not be taken from the earth until that was joseph's word oliver's going to use a different word i don't know if they heard it differently um, i would assume they both understood but joseph uses the word the priesthood is not going away until meaning the whole reason the priesthood was restored is what we're about to talk about 
And it's not going to go away until it happens. And if you guys don't do it, I will find someone else. Because this priesthood was restored for this purpose. And if you're not my people, I'll find another people. But I'm not stopping until this happens, right? Isn't that the word until? This priesthood will not be taken until something happens. Now, what's the something? The sons of Levi do again, so it's happened before, the sons of Levi do again offer an offering in righteousness. So let's see if we can put the key elements here. Levi, which would suggest what? It has to do with Aaronic priesthood, Levitical priesthood. It has to do with priesthood. The sons of Levi will offer an offering in righteousness. Okay, now, what was Oliver's words? Turn to the, to the Pearl of Great Price. Go to Joseph Smith history. After verse 77, the, t the font changes because this is now Oliver speaking. And it's not versified because we don't consider it Scripture. But this is Oliver's account. Go to the last, ver the last paragraph. So Pearl of Great Price, Joseph Smith history. After verse 77... Notice where the font changes and then go to the very last verse right in the middle. Nope, sorry. Second to last verse. Sorry. Second to last verse. And find the prayer upon you, my servants, in the name of Messiah, confer this priesthood. Now, what's the word Oliver uses? What's the word? Not until Oliver uses the word. Keep going. Upon you, my fellow servants, in the name of Messiah, I confer this priesthood and this authority, which shall repain upon earth that. Now put those words together. Tell me what both of them heard. If we put what Oliver heard and what Joseph heard together, this priesthood has come again to earth so that we can make an offering and it will not disappear until we do. So the purpose of the priesthood, would you say, is to make this offering. All right, let's add to it. Let's put a little bit more flesh on the bones. Let's go to section 88, no, 84, Doctrine and Covenant section 84. And let's talk about the oath and covenant of the priesthood. Now, remember, it makes sense that we would say Levi because that's what was being restored. There was no Melchizedek priesthood yet. But by section 84, we have Melchizedek priesthood, right? So notice how the wording changes. Before the oath and covenant of the priesthood, which is starting in verse 33, we have this fascinating verse in verse 31. Therefore, as I said concerning the sons of Moses, that's different. The sons of Moses and also the sons of Aaron shall offer an acceptable offering and sacrifice. So it's not an Aaronic priesthood thing alone, is it? It's Levi and Moses. It's Aaronic and Melchizedek. And we're going to offer an offering and now we add one more thing. Where will the offering occur? In the house of the Lord. So we've got to build some temples. We're going to build a temple so that the priesthood could offer an offering. 
it was restored that this can happen and things will not change things will the end will not come until it happens so we're going to need a temple so that Melchizedek and Aaronic priesthood can offer an offering now I would I again the Lord is not limited to one particular thing I'm sure there's lots of fulfillments of this and I don't want to you know disagree with prophets seers and revelators who have talked about you know their interpretation I just want to point out Joseph Smith's interpretation what did Joseph Smith interpret was this offering turn now to section 128 Doctrine and Covenants section 128, which is the introduction of the work for the dead. Someone steal my... There we go. Vake's iPhone. Who's Vake? I think it's a different... Yeah. Get off of my phone, my TV. It'll clear out in a minute. Yeah, come on, leave mine alone. You know what, maybe. I'll, we'll just, you've got it, right? You've got section 128. So notice that Joseph is introducing the work for the dead, and he talks about a welding link. Um, verse 18, the earth will be smitten with a curse unless there is a welding link of some kind or another between the fathers and the children. Now, we've talked about that, right? The whole earth will have been a waste if we don't what? Weld the families, right? Isn't that what we're saying? This whole earth will have been a waste if we don't weld families. And that's what the work for the dead is. Now, go to the very end. Listen to, well, we ought to point out, well, let's just read verse 24. This is Joseph's misinterpretation. Behold, the great day of the Lord is at hand, and who can abide the day of his coming, and who can stand when he appeareth? For he is like refiner's fire and fuller's soap. He shall sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. He shall purify the sons of Levi and purge them as gold. So, oh, I like that. So I think we're safe in saying that Oliver's word is acceptable to talk about because the Lord used the word like that. So he's going to purify the sons of Levi so that they may offer unto the Lord an offering in righteousness. Now notice what Joseph does. Therefore, let us. Isn't that his conclusion? Let us, therefore, as a church and as a people. Now tell me what that means. This offering is not going to be made by Melchizedek and Aaronic priesthood holders. It's going to be made by Melchizedek and Aaronic priesthood recipients, ordinances. This is an offering made by whom? All of us, the church, every member. Let us as a church and as a people and as Latter-day Saints Offer unto the Lord and offer, oh my goodness. Do we wait? Right the pinnacle of my point. You're looking at it, right? We don't have to look at it together. 
Let us as a church, as a people, as Latter-day Saints, offer unto the Lord an offering in righteousness. Now tell me what his conclusion is. Let us present in his holy temple. Oh, check this off. We've got to follow this in order to be in his temple, right? Let us present in his holy temple when it is finished a book containing the records of our dead. And the book has to be what? Worthy of all acceptation. So why is the book not worthy of acceptation today? Is it just wrong and bad? No. It's not complete. What's missing? What's missing from the book? These two are missing from the book. This connection is not in the book yet. So we've got to finish it. And this connection and that connection. I have children who aren't in the book yet. Therefore, can I say it this way? I'll, I'll personalize it. I don't want to impose this on you, but I'm going to personalize this. If my family does not end up in that book, at least having the work done, then my whole life was what? A waste. A waste. I believe that. If my whole, if my family doesn't end up in that book, then I'm, I missed what life was for. What if we had a lot of money and spent uh, and had some really nice cars and went on some really nice vacations and had some really nice picture books? What would Heavenly Father say about the cars and the meals that we ate and the vacations we went on? What would he say? Good. But did you get to the destination? Now, ready from the statement that I invite you to believe? There is nothing more important to God than helping you find an eternal companion. It is not secondary on his list or third. It is more important than missions and temples and scriptures. All of those are tools. And if he does all those things and we don't seal families, then what were they all? A waste. So do you think God is distracted from the most important work because he's working on a mission over here or building a temple over here or organizing a quorum over here? What is Heavenly Father's most important work? Helping you find an eternal companion. There is nothing more important to Him than that. If He does anything else instead, even His existence was what? A waste. A waste. And is He going to waste His existence? He is not. 
I know you've got school and you've got church and you've got mission. You've got a thousand things worrying about. But you are not alone in this pursuit. You are not alone. Trust that that really is his priority. And that you are included in that. Don't say everyone else is, but you're not. No, no, no. Everyone. You are included. There is nothing more important to Heavenly Father than helping you find an eternal companion. Now, are there some rules that go with that that we need to talk about next week? Absolutely. But do you believe that core belief that it is of greatest importance to Heavenly Father to help you find an eternal companion? You are not in this alone. And those of you who are starting to give up hope need to have faith and re and change your priorities. That Heavenly Father will help you. Now, at the risk of sending the wrong message, can I tell you my story? Now, I recognize that some people are going to read this story and say, wow, it's not that easy for me. I don't, it's not the ease that I'm trying to emphasize. I'm just trying to point out that Heavenly Father can do this. Okay? Let me tell you my story. Here's my story. Now, again, the other thing I'm going to say is I do not believe there is one companion. I don't believe you have one match. I think there's lots of matches. I did, Jennifer was not the only person I could have married. She's the one I did marry. So that's the story I tell. But I don't want this to come across as it was the only way I could have been married. Don't go there. But I just want to illustrate that God will help you. There's the great state of Utah. Don't, not proportion. <laughs> Here's boy. Here's girl. No way they meet. Big city boy, small town girl. No way they meet. Boy goes on a mission. Girl's father has three jobs. And within a matter of weeks, loses all three of them. He was an elected official. He lost the election, and that should not have happened. His store went under, and his farm went under. All in one summer. So girl's father gets a new job. Now, can you guess where he gets a new job? Salt Lake Valley. Now, let me show you the Salt Lake Valley, okay? Here's the Salt Lake Valley. State capital, boy's house. Now, if you were moving your family to the Salt Lake Valley and you had no family here, where would you buy a house? If your job is at the state capitol building, where do you buy a house? He bought a house right there. And he didn't even like the house. But he was led to the house. He's a patriarch. And he says, this is the house we need to buy. So they buy the house. It just so happens that just right down the street is boy's house. I come home from my mission. 
I'm standing on the podium, I'm standing at the podium while I'm on the stage before the meeting to give my homecoming address and she walked in the back door and literally took my breath away. I just, (laughs) now I said to Heavenly Father, I got it from here. And it took a while, but we were married. He handed her on a silver platter. I came home and there she was in my ward. Now we're not married a year. We're not even married a year before. Can you guess where I'm going to go? Her dad loses his job unexpectedly for no explanation and does what? Moves right back to Cedar City. Heavenly Father just said, I can do this. I can put her in your path. Now, I believe with all my soul that he will do his job. Will you do yours? Part of your job is to not fall into the 10 pitfalls we've been talking about. The other part of your job is to understand how Heavenly Father helps. Some rules of revelation. And that's what we're going to do in our last class. Next week's our last class. So we will talk about rules of revelation that apply to finding eternal companions. In my experience, way too many of you are sitting on the beach waiting for him to tell you what to do. And you are violating a very important rule of revelation. So we'll talk about those next week, but please know that with all my soul, I testify that there is nothing more important to an omnipotent being who has all power and all knowledge than helping you find an eternal companion. He can do that. He told Nephi, 600 BC, make another set of plates, Nephi. Make another set of plates. Okay, what do, you want to put, what do you want me to put on it, Lord? Same stuff. Just repeat it. What? You want me to write stuff on this and the same stuff? Yep. Yep. Same stuff. Two plates. Nephi said, okay. Fast forward. Mormon is abridging these plates and pulling out and making a new set of plates. And he finds this set of plates. So Mormon abridges... Uh, um, the large plates of Nephi from Lehi down to Benjamin. Mormon abridges, Mormon's words, Mormon writing. And then he finds these small plates. And what does the Spirit say? Hey, throw those in. Throw those in. You mean the same material I just covered? Yeah. I, I just covered Lehi to Benjamin. I know. And you want me to put in Lehi to Benjamin? Yes. You want two copies of Lehi to Benjamin. Yep. Okay. (laughs) Now, fast forward. Joseph Smith pulls the plates out and starts translating. What does he start translating? Mormon's abridgment of Lehi to Benjamin. And then it gets lost. And as soon as Martin Harris loses the manuscript. Tell me what Nephi and Mormon said, wherever they were. 
Oh, that's why. <laughs> when did the Lord know that he would need a second set, in very different words, of Lehi to Benjamin? Literally 2,400 years earlier. 2,400 years when he says to Nephi, make another set of plates. Why, Lord? Because Martin Harris is going to lose the manuscript. And I need a backup. Now, do you think he can cross the paths and put people where they need to be? He can. But what if you're afraid to try? What if you have violated all of the other rules? You've got to do some things. But it is my testimony that Heavenly Father has nothing more important, nothing. When he wakes up in the morning and he looks at his to-do list, what's at the top of the list? Help you find an eternal companion. That's at the top of his list. And in my life, it's to help me maintain and build an eternal relationship. Everything I do in the church is to make my family eternal and get their names in the book. Of that I testify. Trust Him. Work with Him. And don't fall into pitfalls. I testify He will help you. Now, let Him guide you. And I say that in the name of Jesus Christ, amen.